Barry Duplissy coming to you from PCA 2023 once again, having a seat down with uh, a newcomer to the PCA trade show, but not a newcomer to cigars. A great family tradition, and uh, I'm speaking with none other than Arnold De Serafin uh, of Serafin De Cuba Cigars. Arnold, how you doing, sir? Barry, thank you very much. I appreciate it. I'm doing great. I'm thrilled that you guys are here doing the video with me. Absolutely. So how's your, how's your first trade show treating you? So far, so good. Um, I'd been to the trade show, you know, years ago with uh, some of my friends from Florida Gonzalez that aren't here this year. Uh, La Tradición Cubana, Luis Sanchez, Miami, good friend of mine as well. So just to be here doing this, dream come true. Very happy. Beautiful, beautiful. I, what I love about uh, your story is just like, a, it's not just... Uh, it's not just the uh, the family story, but it's individuals in the families. And uh, you know, right now I'm smoking the uh, Seraphine uh, Siri Don Ramon, uh, which uh, I have told you that was uh, the favorite out of the samples that I had smoked before. And uh, you've got some really unique blends. And what I really like about this is that yes, this is uh, this is a milder cigar, um, but the the creaminess uh, that really is balanced out with the really nice subtleties and the spices. And there's a lot of baking spice into it as well. But um, why? Uh, talk to us a little bit about who this pays homage to. Sure. The, the Seraphin 1942, which is the one you're smoking, was uh, basically the first cigar that we did to create a tribute to my dad, Don Ramon Seraphin Sr. Um, he was with me, he was instrumental in the business, worked with me more than 20 years in the business. Um, unfortunately, he passed away uh, 2019, towards the end. And uh, dad was always uh, really crazy about the Connecticut wrappers, and he loved that size. So when it came time to make a cigar, I said, man, what do I make for him? Well, it wasn't that hard. I said, you know what? He loved the, the whenever a customer would come into the shop, he'd show them the Connecticut. He was so proud about it. So I wanted to create something that I knew he would like. And that was the creation of that cigar. You know, you talk about how long he'd been in the business and everything. And, and uh, you know, we the, the beautiful thing about this industry is that it is multi-generational. And, uh, but what we get lost in a lot sometimes and, and what you're, Starting with Seraphin de, de Cuba, uh, with with the launching of this brand and, and bringing it to the public and everything is that you've been doing that you all have been doing this for a long time and it is also generational as well. Yeah. And uh, um, I uh, I'm really fascinated to explore even more about your story. But let's talk a little bit more about some of the cigars that we have sure. here. Uh, specifically, the we'll do the 19 uh, the 1940 uh, excuse me the 1917. Let's go back to there. 1917 is uh, basically the follow up to Dad Cigar. Um, we named this one as well Don Ramon because it was the same name, my father and grandfather. But this one I did for granddad. Um, what we created here was a Corojo wrapper um, with a you know, Cuban style pigtail and it also has a folded foot, kind of like the old Fumas. And uh, granddad had a little cigar factory in central Cuba for many years, just up until the time of the revolution. And um, of course everything changed after that for everybody, right? But. Uh, I went to visit him back in 1993, I went to Cuba, and he was still rolling his own cigars. And, and I said, you know what, Grandpa, I said, I'd love for you to make me some cigars to take back to Florida. And it was just a very normal thing, oh yeah, that's what you want? Hold on a second, here, go visit my neighbor, three houses down, tell him the leaves that I need, I brought him back to the house, and in the living room, him and my uncle rolled about 50 cigars. I still say the best, the best cigars I ever had. So at that time, that was really my inspiration. And um, this cigar pays tribute to him in that particular moment. So, you know, um, it, it, it's it's funny when you talk about, um, you know, a simple moment like that. But you know, it's it's not always the it's not always the the where 
um, that uh, that matters, but the wear that makes it special. Yeah. And uh, you know, I can imagine you were probably sitting there in a living room watching your family <laughs> roll you cigars. Right there. And uh, I can't imagine what that moment was like for you. It was you. magical. And I was only I was only 14 years old. And my father, <clears throat> at the time, he was in, a, in other businesses. And I said, Dad, we got to somehow get back into the family business. And he said, yeah, son, we, we, if you want to do it. I mean, I'm only 14 years old, and I'm already leaning in that direction. And he said, if you want to do it, let's do it. Unfortunately, my mother, her health was not the best. And unfortunately, she passed away in 2003. And that's when he really went 100% into the business with me. And uh, we started developing our own little brands, and mostly local business in the Tampa area. And from that, we've basically, you know, led to all this now. Let's talk about a couple of the <coughs> other brands that you've brought to market today. A little bit more, well, I guess we would say uh, traditional in the sense of uh, uh, the, the, the packaging and everything. And it's uh, very, you know, it looks very familiar, but yet it's something different. And that's the, the Principe de Gaius. And uh, yeah. um, if I'm mispronouncing that, I apologize. Oh, uh, but you can correct me, but uh, it's uh, it's also a Connecticut shade similar to this, but uh, right. talk a little bit about uh, that particular brand. Okay, um, yeah, Prince, uh, I'd love to get one and show it to you if you want to grab one right there behind you. Put this one down here. Show it to the camera. You got it? So this cigar is a very historic cigar, guys. This cigar came out the first time ever, 1853. It was created by a gentleman that you guys might recognize. <coughs> Excuse me. This is the original artwork from that time period. <clears throat> My throat is killing me, sorry guys. But it was created by Mr. Ebor, Ebor City. So this cigar, created in Havana, Cuba, 1853, Mr. Ebor decides to get kind of cozy with the rebels during the Spanish-American War. And basically, he was a Spaniard himself, but he was living in Cuba. So he started giving money to the cause for freedom. The Spanish government didn't like that. He ends up going to Key West. I gotta get some water. Excuse me. My throat is killing me today. Unbelievable. Trade show will do that to you. <laughs> and the dryness, you know? <clears throat> anyway, so 1869, he takes the brand to Key West and um, flees, you know, the whole thing in Cuba. And then a few years later, a Spaniard by the name of Gavino Gutierrez and Bernardino Gargol, the Cuban guy, they said to him, uh, well, let me backtrack a minute. Those two guys were in New York. And back then, everybody would travel by steamboat. So they come down from New York and stop in Key West. Who do they bump into? Mr. Ebor. 1885 was the year. So he'd already been in Key West for almost 20 years, I think, basically. 15 or 20 years. And uh, Ebor was looking for a place to be able to expand his business because Key West was kind of remote at the time. So when he meets these two guys, <coughs> excuse me, they said to him, we're looking at this area up in Tampa. They say they grow wild guava trees up there. He says, really? I hadn't heard that. He says, can I come with you guys? Sure. So they take a trip up here to Tampa. Oh, up here, up there, because we're in Las Vegas. But you get the idea. Anyway, goes up to Tampa, buys 40 acres, becomes Ybor City. All that thanks to the Prince of Wales. Interesting thing though, the brand had been defunct for over 100 years. And one day I saw it, the artwork, and Dad and I, we loved all the history. And I said to my father, I said, you know, I'd really love to bring this back. And he said, man, that would be something really amazing. Unfortunately, he didn't see it in his lifetime. 
But I know he's watching. So I'm really proud to say that we have the cigar back again. And Mr. Ebor's great-grandson, Raphael Ebor, if he sees this, he gave me the blessing of the family to bring it back. Oh, that's so really that was cool. really, really big. That's really great. Yeah. It's terrific. You know, Arnold, the one thing that I've really enjoyed watching you as you've kind of reignited this journey for yourself and for your family is seeing how much tribute you pay to the city of Tampa, the state of Florida, because it does hold so much near and dear to you and Beautiful your family's hearts. And uh, it's it's been terrific to see the, the last cigar that you've got that you guys have here today is the La Floridana, uh, which is also uniquely shaped. We talked about the one in honor of your grandfather. Uh, talk to us a little bit about this one. So La Floridana is another old Tampa brand. Um, it was actually Mr. Ebor's son, Candido Ebor, was part owner of the company with another Cuban guy named Emilio Pons. And uh, they basically teamed up and started the Floridana Cigar Company back in, I want to say like 1895 or so. And the cigar was being made through different hands, of course, up until 1972. And one day again, I saw the artwork, which is right there. I don't know if you guys could see it right there with the girl and basically <clears throat> what that translates to is the Floridian girl and I just love the artwork and the history behind it and it's funny because I checked the you know the uh, the articles of incorporation and anything I could find and up until 1972 nobody else made it after that so it's defunct as well and I'm thinking to myself Tampa is a beautiful such a rich history of cigar making and it was just kind of thrown to the side it had been forgotten for all these years and um, I'm just a lover of history, cigar history, Cuban history, of course. And I just wanted to bring all this back. And it's been a hit. You know, you, we've been talking a lot about your father, uh, your grandfather, your family, and like all this rich history that we've been mentioning here today. And I think that uh, what's, what's, what I can bring to this part of the conversation is that my, my father said that, told me one time that there were things that his father taught him that, because when my grandfather passed away, I didn't ever get to meet him. And he said, son, you will get to meet him. The words that I say and the things that I teach you, well, you will learn those lessons. And, you know, as I'm getting older, my father is becoming more and more sick and more and more old. And I know that that's one thing that I will pass along to my sons. Absolutely. And, you know, we get the great privilege of talking about the amazing gift of the you're bringing in the art form of cigars but it's much deeper than that because it's the principles that your father taught you that his father taught him absolutely and it goes back so far and that's why i think that's why the historical significance should never be lost on that and arnold i think that's why um when uh, you know, Coop was mentioning before, like, when I asked him, I said, have you heard of this this guy? When you reached out to me, I... I Who is this guy? I've never I, heard of this guy. <laughs> I was re but I was, I was immediately captivated. We get reached out by so many people so many times. I'm sure. And um, I'm honored that you guys are doing this for me. Thank you very much. Oh, you, the honor's ours. Right, because, again, I think that the retelling, of, the retelling of stories and the retelling of history is such a lost art form, but it's so important because... We can write things down and we can make videos and everything, but there's so much that's passed along in private conversations, definitely in simple lessons from our from our fathers to, you know, and mothers of course to children, and uh, and it's just wonderful to see the the, the we'll finish our short conversation here today sure. with the the uh, the Florida Tampa, uh, which is, uh, I mean my Spanish isn't great. <laughs> You're doing but, fine. Uh, that, You're doing fine. Uh, the Tampa Flower, so uh, yeah. I think it's a, a good one to end on. So tell us a little bit about this one. You know, Florida Tampa is another legendary Tampa brand. Um, 
I want to say that one's from about 1886. And again, I just I fell in love with the artwork on that one. It had not been made in many years. And uh, that was actually one of the first ones we did when we started doing this whole project. And what's funny is I never intended to make so many of them. But we just started doing it, and it got really fun. And I said, well, what the hell? Let's, let's keep, keep it going. And I'll tell you guys right now, I have other ones in the, in, the, in the back burner that hopefully I'll be able to release. I don't know if I'll make it to next year's PCA with them. I hope to. But keep an eye out. You know, stay tuned. They'll be cool ones. It'll be fantastic see. I love the history that's coming alive right now. And let me just say this. My friend and brother, Carlito Fuente, big supporter, helping me out. And uh, he's very enthusiastic about me bringing all these old Tampa brands back. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm very happy that he's, that he's giving me the blessing, too. Tampa guys stick together. We uh, talked absolutely. about this. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Coop's uh, got a question for you. Sure. So, Arnold, hey, first of all, it's great to have you at the trade show. Now, you're making your scars in Florida, right? So you have a, you're doing all your production. Here. You're at the trade show. What's your plans for grows? Because I'm assuming you're not going to mass produce these things. But what are you looking to do um, as far as grows goes? Well, you know what, Coop? We've already uh, we've already established a little bit of a of a presence in a factory in Jalapa, so we're doing about thirty percent of our production there right now, because of that reason. Because you know we just were not able to continue making them all in Tampa all the time. So, but I'll tell you what, the quality has remained consistent, and I'm very happy. And I, if it doesn't meet my standards, I will not release it. I'll steal Carlito's uh, phrase: "You can't rush the hands of time." You know, Absolutely. so if they're not ready, they're just not ready. But so far, I've been able to work with you know a few different growers and stuff down there, and we're very happy with uh, with the production. Well, we're so thrilled to stay with you. Thank you so much for taking small time out. It's and, my pleasure. Uh, and uh, we're we're really looking forward to and seeing excited to see the future of Seraphine. Thank Division. you so much, Dick. And I'm so. sorry that my voice is kind of hoarse. A lot of talking. The desert out here, you know. The well, these mics are so out. great. No one's gonna know. <laughs> So, thank wonderful. you. Thank you, Arnold. Appreciate it. Bear, thank you very much. Cool. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you.